1989, The Cure was a veteran band, kicking around since the late 70s and steadily building steam, most notably with their top 40 hit, Just Like Heaven. Disintegration, their follow-up album, reveled in the dark sounds of The Cure while delivering the number two hit, Love Song. The semi-goth image and alternative rock sounds did nothing to stop this record from being a commercial success. I finally had the opportunity to see The Cure, still headed by a somewhat thicker Robert Smith this month at Madison Square Garden, so I thought what better opportunity to do a deep dive on their most acclaimed album. So, travel with us to that halcyon moment of British dominance on the alternative airwaves before the great triumph of grunge. Mix up some vodka, triple sec, and lime juice, and join us for episode 80 of Toasting the Classics, Disintegration by The Cure. Welcome to Toasting the Classics, the podcast where we take something that people call a classic and we talk about it while we drink something inspired by the classic. In this case, I think that I have done a terrible job of choosing the drink related to this classic because I don't know if it would have worked. But after I after we came up with the drink, I was thinking to myself, we should have just done some great hangover cure. Something that was a an, like when people do the hair of the dog kind of hangover mm -hmm. cure, which, by the way, I've never resorted to the hair of the dog. And the day that I do is the day I start worrying about how much I drink. I'm sure there must be something out there where you have like a, like a Bloody Mary would have been good as as like a, people drink those oh, in the morning in New Orleans. As, after, as the, the cure, as the yeah. cure. Right. Because right. this show that we're doing today is going to be the cure. We're talking about the cure and specifically the 1989 album Disintegration. It was my choice for free choice, and I was inspired. We were actually originally going to do an album of Richard Pryor's, which we're still going to do because that's a great idea. I think we should still. Next time free choice comes around to me, I promise the Toasting the Classics listeners that we'll be talking about Richard Pryor. But this time, my wife bought me birthday present, early birthday present, June 26th, I think it is. We're going to go see The Cure at Madison Square Garden. And I've never seen them, so I'm pretty excited about that. And I wanted to have an excuse to sort of get into their back discography and do some reading about the band and stuff. So I thought that'd be fun. Maybe it would have been smarter to go to the show first <laughs> and then talk about it on Toasting the Classics. But I don't know. Is that is that necessary? I, but maybe that would have been cool. Maybe maybe this one won't come out until actually I've been to the show and I'll throw something into the outro talking about whether or not the show was great and how Robert Smith how bad he looks as an old man or something. I don't know. But anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see how the show goes. How are you doing today, Clint? I'm good. Oh, by the way, what's your name? My name is Dave MacArthur. My name is Clint Lanier. Welcome That's to right. Toasting the Classics. You just jumped right into it. You're so excited about this. I did. I did. I really was yeah. going off. That's probably a record for how much time I've spent talking. Although I have to say, when I scan through the shows just mm -hmm. before posting them to make sure there's no like errors or anything in the middle. I, I click mm -hmm. on it and, it's, and if I click at a random point, it seems like it's always me talking when I click <laughs> to a random point. So I don't know if no. there's somebody out there who's a listener who wants to break it down by how much we talk, but um, I'm a little bit of a talker. So Really? I, I hadn't noticed. No. Nobody. Well, you know, if, if I had to do a lot of work, <clears throat> I wouldn't be doing this thing. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm allergic to work after all. Uh, yeah, this is a this is a, a great choice. Disintegration. So, Disintegration came out in 1989. It was their biggest pop, or I should say, most popular, um, uh -huh. most lucrative album. Prior to this, geez, they, they I think they had like six albums. Uh, this before. is their number. This is their eighth album. Eighth album. Wow. Okay. So they had yeah seven albums prior to to Disintegration. Mm -hmm. Yep. And they kept moving up the charts. I mean, uh, if you look at sort of their, they were formed. Uh, I want to say 76, 78. I think 78 um, when they first got together. 
That sounds yeah. about right to me. They came out with their first album, Three Imaginary Boys, 1979, 17 Seconds, 1980, and on and on, and, and Pornography, 82. And they just kind of kept climbing the charts. They're pretty the prolific. I mean, these albums are coming out with not a lot of space in between. So, Well, one or two, maybe three years. Well, let's see. Yeah. First one, Imaginary Boys, 79, 17 Seconds, 1980. Then yeah. you had Pornography, 82, Standing on I a Beach, was... 86. I guess that was pretty normal back in those days, right? And it's kind of mm -hmm. weird to think that The Cure goes back into the 70s. It, it makes yeah. sense thematically with the kind of music they are because that's mm -hmm. when the post-punk, that's basically when post-punk was born is 1978. Right. 77 is the big year for punk, right? With Sex mm -hmm. Pistols. And then almost immediately when uh, Johnny Rotten, when they break up, Johnny Rotten and uh, Sid Vicious, Sid Vicious yeah. dies and mm -hmm. punk just crashes almost immediately yeah. and you get this yeah. post-punk wave which turns into a bunch of different things not really the cure but kind of they're very inspired by joy division i would say and joy division is 100 percent one of the first first wave of, of post-punk i think that uh, it does make sense that they're from 78 but like i didn't i mean obviously i was a, i was a baby obviously i didn't know anything about yeah, it but, <laughs> right, but, right but i did know the song just like heaven and the album kiss mm -hmm. me kiss me kiss me i was aware of that and i was 10 so i mean they were they were big in america in 1986 1987 something like that they were not some obscure band you know maybe not, not as big as u2 but kind of like that sort of a sort of an alternative british type band that was actually mm -hmm. big in the states that people knew yeah you know and and i sort of had them as a and i think a lot of people sort of had them as a novelty band because of their their goth shtick, the look. right? Yeah, Robert Smith especially. I mean, he was the you know he's the front man for this band, and he comes out and he looks like I was about to say he looks like Tim Burton, but I guess Tim Burton looks like him. Yeah, Tim Burton so he, looks he, like him. Yeah, that's the he's thing, got right? he's got red lipstick, he's got you know pale makeup. I don't even know what, what you call it. Dark eyeliner, the like super uh -huh. shadowed eyeliner, and then like dyed black hair that's standing all crazy and then dresses in black. So if, right? if you're a person who doesn't know Robert Smith out there in the mm -hmm. world listening to this podcast and, you, and you're trying to think of what this look is we're talking about, you could picture The Crow. You could mm -hmm. picture Edward yep. Scissorhands. Yep. You could picture, uh, there's another big one that is slipping. Oh, uh, the character from The Sandman, right? If you've seen any of those, you've seen things that were inspired by Robert Smith's look. If you've seen any Tim Burton movie, which is, movie, which is right. like Nightmare Before Christmas right. or Frank and Weenie. And then there's then some synergy. There's synergy between those yeah, two things. And for sure, I think I think the cure <laughs> is uncomfortable with being called goth, but mm -hmm. they were so early in the goth thing. They were in the same spheres as all the people that became goth later. Yeah, that right. they almost his look and everything kind of created the sound and the look of goth, even yeah. though they're not really a part of that movement. I mean, they didn't set, set out to be that. I mean, that was the no. thing is they is the cure. They just set out to be punk or post-punk or new wave, even, you know? Yeah. And yeah, and fair. and like I think Depeche Mode, check me on this, but I think Depeche Mode maybe was like 1980, you know, 1981, something like that. So you Depeche know, Mode became Depeche Mode. Oh no, I'm getting it mixed up. I'm sorry. New Order became New Order when um Ian Curtis of Joy Division died. They okay. basically were Joy Division that converted into a different band. And then Depeche Mode is very similar. So New Order and Depeche Mode are like early 80s synth pop um, and kind of the Venn diagram between them and The Cure and Goth. There's definitely some crossover. It's all right. the post-punk. It's all the post-punk movement, essentially. Right. In a lot of ways. right. So what 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 makes Goth? I mean, I guess you could say there's yeah. the look, 
but there's also the attitude and the attitude is this kind of nihilistic or nihilistic, however you pronounce it. Kind of, um, I think either is fair. I, like, I, uh, I might have gone with nihilistic. But yeah. Nihilistic attitude yeah. towards life, you know, where it's all everything sucks and we're all going to die. We are and nihilists. By that, by, by that, me- yeah, by that measure, Morrissey and the Smiths would be. Oh yeah, not right. Oh, yeah. But though there's, you know, though he's come into the game like late compared to yeah, Robert yeah. Smith and Susie and the band. Oh gosh, yes. Oh yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not even really get together until 84 or 85. Yeah, yeah. It's very different. Um, Although I think, I think he and Robert Smith are very simpatico. I think they kind of saw. I would say I, so. You know, I mean, I um, like every day is like literate. You, you got, you got every day is like Sunday. Right. You know, yeah. and, and uh, where he's like, come nuclear bomb, you know, just get it over with. And Robert Smith was never really like that. He, he didn't set out to be that. He had a kind of a dark phase in the yeah. early eighties. And he admits that he's like, oh, I was just in a bad place. And this, and, you know, I was writing the music. And Robert Smith was sort of the guy that wrote everything, all the songs, all the music. I mean, they sort of contributed, but I mean, for the most part, it was yeah. him pushing the ship and in, in the directions anyway. Did you say pushing <clears> the <throat> ship? Ship. Yes. Okay. Pushing the ship. I, won't, I won't need to bleep that. They <laughs> and, had to get uh, their ship together. Yeah. They had to get their ship together, but he was pushing the ship in the direction that, that, right. that, you know, that that took them to the goth and this album area. i think this album is is another dark phase of his apparently well, he had kind I, of an existential crisis as he got towards 30 i don't i mean this album is it dark it's darker than kiss me kiss me kiss me no but it's not really dark <clears throat> per se it's not it's not like the album you know suicide from from, from 10 years before the, or right. a long time before this but it's what is what is the word i'm looking for it's it's got a gothic atmosphere to it sort of it's got a uh it's very minor keyed it's very ambient you can it's definitely very, put it on yeah. and have like a mood you know it's it's not necessarily it's very, well i think morose is a good word for it morose it's, it's maybe, sort of yeah. it's sort of like it's a bit of a downer if you hear it's all the ironic like, well, all the all the chords are in in kind of that downer type of uh-huh. of key. I mean, everything's everything's nothing's very upbeat. There's this <clears> German <throat> romantic painting from mm-hmm. the 1800s, and it's I think it's Caspar David Friedrich or Friedrich David. I can't remember the artist's name, but it's this guy dressed in like a Byronic fashion, standing on a cliff with a big wave behind him. And to me, that represents the romantic movement. And mm-hmm. it also is part of what's going on in the Smiths and going on in the, yeah. in the Cure and things like that. It has that that album could be playing in that guy's earbuds yeah. while he's watching that wave crash, and yeah. it would be perfect. It's like dramatic and kind of nihilist and kind of morose, mm-hmm. but maybe also enjoying the sensation, like not mm-hmm. just being morose, but being like, "Oh, look at this beautiful, scary world in front of me." I don't know. It's it's a it's a richer feeling than just being morose, you know. It's not just walking walking around in black makeup and being a goth is kind of you know like a Lydia in um, Beetlejuice. Yeah, Beetlejuice. Yeah, at yeah. the beginning of Beetlejuice, yeah. it's kind of whack, you know. Like yeah. It's, yeah. It's, that's that's easily lampooned, right? Like that's kind yes. of a funny yes. thing. But well, like, I think I think that was his fear. He he didn't he didn't want to be that because he he didn't want to be identified really as sort of that. But I mean, right? You know, if you think about it. And this is really stupid. And I might be stretching it a little bit, but let's do it. Yeah, it's the okay. overwrought theory of the week, right. and it's coming from Clinton. Johnny Johnny right. Cash wore nothing but black when uh-huh. he when he reemerged from addiction. He was he like was the, the man's first goth. He, he was the man in black. Maybe he yeah. uh, he sung uh, Sunday Morning Coming Down by Chris Christopherson, which uh-huh. I just said every day is like Sunday. He sings about Ira Hayes. It was okay. the song of Ira Hayes. Okay. And, and he and he was the guy that 
a Native American who was raising the flag in Iwo Jima. And he sang a song about him and basically how Ira Hayes ended up, his life was a tragedy after that, you know, even though he was kind of stylized in the yeah. raising of the flag in Iwo Jima. So, I mean, he sang about these very dark, depressing, terrible things, but he did it as a social activist. I mean, Johnny Cash was very much a social activist and he did it to shine a light on these, the wealth gap or the poverty or the, or, you know, all, yeah, all these other kind of social injustices. That's like dressing um, in black and, and, and all this other stuff. I think you're totally right. I think Johnny Cash is definitely in the same sort of mood as the cure or some of, you know, like you said, like, the, like the Smiths or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's more like Bruce Springsteen, because like you said, it's got this political message yeah. and it asks yeah, you to maybe. do something about it. Whereas the British ones yeah. are more like, it's kind of nihilistic. It's like, whatever. Yeah. Girlfriend, Girlfriend in a coma, you know? Yeah. And, and so the point of all of this, I guess, is the Smiths just sort of accident or not the Smiths, I'm sorry, the cure, cure. just yeah, sort of accidentally, cure. just sort of accidentally stumbled into this and this post-punk, I mean, cause they were influenced by punk and they definitely wanted to be that. Oh yeah, and, I mean, he was uh, talking he, about the moment he saw the Sex Pistols on. It was, on it was a life life changing event. On John you know? Peel's transformed yeah. his life, and I, I could I could imagine yeah. that. To me, that's like the moment I first heard Nirvana. Mm -hmm. It was just yeah. like I remember yeah. it, like you know, and obviously that didn't inspire me to become a musician, but it did yeah. kind of seem to change my life and the way I saw the world in a weird sort of way. And I well, if you if you were already a musician, which he was. You know, and he uh, already yeah. had a band, which he did, because his first right. band was like 72 or something like that, or 75. If, if I had been a musician, Nirvana would have changed everything about yes. my life. It, it changed yeah. the way I thought, and I was not a musician. I just loved music. Right. But if I had been a musician, I would I couldn't have done things the same the day after. I was looking at, actually, not to get into that too much. I feel like I talk about Star Wars and Nirvana too much, but, you know, so soon. <laughs> I was looking at the list of, like, big albums from 89, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see... There's some weird things. There's some holdovers. There's there's Phil Collins, right? Okay. Uh, Don Henley had a big album in 1989. Madonna okay. had a big album in 1989, right? Okay. Then you've got some of the things like um, Motley Crue had a huge hmm. album in 1989. And meanwhile, Motley Crue is, the, you know, they're these big heavy metal bands, these big dinosaurs mm -hmm. stomping around the musical landscape. Yeah. And meanwhile, Nirvana releases their first album, Bleached, in 89, yeah. right? Nine Inch Nails Pretty Hate Machine comes out in 1989. You've got Doolittle by the Pixies. You've got Soundgarden's first album, Mother's Milk by Red Hot Chili Peppers. You got all these little rats running around underneath the feet of the dinosaurs ready to take over. And it's yeah. when Nevermind, when Nevermind hits in 91, that's that's the asteroid that killed off. Blow, these, blows it, yeah, you know, blows it all yeah. open, yeah. And everything interesting. is completely different. So <laughs> Interesting, yeah. It's a good music year. I was looking at the list and what I noticed is that out of 100 albums that people were ranking as great albums, there's hardly any rap. Rap has really kind of hmm. not arrived yet. Out of the no, out of the five or six no, no. rap albums on that list, Vanilla Ice is one of them, for God's sake. I think Chronic in '92, which we have done. You guys, yeah, should that's go later. But that. things, that, I think um, Chronic in '92 was the, was where things really changed. Yeah. I think that was kind sort of, of broke open. So on that list, where was uh, where was this album? Uh, number five. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Number five on this list, uh, and and it was either four or five on a couple <laughs> different lists out of a hundred. I'm talking about. Yeah. One list put De La Soul number one. I think because they probably mm -hmm. looked at the list and they were like, "Wait, where's hip hop's about to get huge? Where is all the yeah. hip hop?" Yeah, right. Which is fair enough. I had the same thought too, but I don't know if De La Soul's. Maybe yeah. I didn't catch that. That's that was a little hip for me in 1989. I was in sixth mm -hmm. grade. A lot of people talk about. No, a lot of people, but some critics discuss The Cure as one of the first alternative bands before there was such kind of a thing i think that's fair <clears throat> and i think i think it i think it's fair too and i think it's more fair than saying goth i yeah. think goth is just saying okay because they look this way and they have kind of depressing or sad sounds 
sometimes let's just throw them in, in this thing. The so the label cure, the cure becomes really is probably a lot more valid than than uh, yeah. I th I think the alternative uh, label is a lot more valid, but the, and the cure becomes really prominent in '87. I think with mm -hmm. um with uh, uh just like heaven. Yeah, I think was like all over the place. Like you couldn't not hear that song. Right, but it, you know what's funny is it. it but I. The band I think of before that is Tears, Tears for Fears. For Fears yeah. Tears for Fears is really big in 1984. And that's how is that not an alternative band? That's an alternative band. They don't really have well, any of the punk influence yeah. that The Cure does, though. So it's a little different. There's no edge to Tears for Fears. But that was a big band that kind of had some of that same synth pop. I don't know. There was always that Depeche Mode stuff floating around, New Order and things like that. I don't know if that really alternative is probably the, that's not really an alternative rock band. They're more like something else. And mm. alternative rock bands. What about you too? Is that count as alternative rock? It's not, it's not metal. It really wasn't what everybody. Yeah. Was I, I got in this discussion with my daughter who's really into music and it's like, what, okay. like, how do you classify alternative rock? It's everything right. that's not like classic rock alternative rock. The label came out in the, in the late eighties. Yeah. And so you had the hair bands. Get Bon Jovi and Motley Crue and Cinderella and definitely not alternative. I think we right, and so it was it was somebody other than that. I think it was it was basically the attitude as well as music. So the Pixies, everybody would say alternative, right? Because they were yeah. weird. You know, they weren't. Yeah. They didn't just have you know really cool different music, but they were weird. <laughs> they were weird. You do know? you want my you, Do you want my quick litmus test for alternative sure. rock? Sure. Are you all about girls and drugs? If you're not, you're alternative rock. If you're talking about yeah. anything else other than girls I, and drugs, because you think about all those metal bands. But like, you know, I don't know. Bruce Springsteen isn't like girls and drugs. He's yeah. classic rock. He's kind of before this. Like 84, we talked about Born in the USA. And by 84, he's kind of an elder statesman of rock, right? He's he's still respected. He's still good. But he's kind of an old guy. He's really big in the 70s. If you're in know. the I eighties mean, and you're like I, in your twenties, I, I just I I hate to I, I I guess I just hate to put angst, you two. In, I think angst I, is part of it. Angst might have something to do. I, I I hate putting you two into alternative rock. I know. I think it has. I, I think it has to do with. It doesn't with, seem right, but what with, the heck with are being countercurrent to what was out there, like Frank Black and the Pixies did that. Nirvana, going off the influence of the Pixies, did that. The yeah. Cure, the Cure just did their own thing. They didn't care about what other people were doing i think uk rock is a little bit different it's such a small it's different kind of pond you know it's different it's definitely and, different and, that's for sure and so they just sort of did what they wanted to do the beatles sort of did that too i mean the beatles you know rubber soul revolver once yeah they once, they, once they were famous they they did they started out as really, a boy band you know they might as they well did. you know but then they but then they Holly. they grew beyond that and yeah. they became what you would call kind of alternative in that day right influence that allowed other bands to do that because they were able to do that and they had so much juice in the industry that they could they could get away with it i don't think you can be alternative if you're prog rock even though queen definitely feels mm -hmm. kind of it's certainly alternative right it's not queen's almost like novelty rock you know fat bottom girls and all the rest well of it, those are stuff. yeah those are like silly ones but i mean like yeah i mean queen's overall work is very um i don't know it's just weird queen there's nothing like queen Queen. Well, no, there's perfectly there's honest. Queen is just sui generis. There's nothing else like Queen. I've never like heard I said. They're they're sort of like, no, they're novelty. novelty they are they're rock, novel in that you know? sense. They're not novel like in a novelty in a sense of Weird Al Yankovic. But no, um, no, I'm not novelty. saying silly. I'm not saying silly. I'm just saying like they're all one offs almost. You know, Bohemian Rhapsody. How would you classify that? Nobody else has done that or would I mean, ever do that. You know, the fact it's, that it's, are... it's 
Queen is unquestionably a rock band because of the instruments that they use, right? The way they dress. Mm -hmm. Unquestionably, they're a rock right. band. And then the <clears> fact <throat> that they're not doing standard four-time, four-four measure songs mm -hmm. makes them prog rock, you know, because anything you do other than that is prog rock, basically. So I think if you use electric guitar and, and the standard four-piece band, then you're pretty much rock. So The Cure is rock, mm -hmm. but they're coming out of something very different. Mm -hmm. and a different like lineage to me to me to get back a little bit more to talking about the cure the band that's really uh goth and started goth to me is Susie and the banshees mm -hmm. like when i think yeah. of goth okay. and, and, the, and the image of yeah. goth and what they look like and i think robert smith because he was part of that band yeah. for, for yeah. part of their years his yeah. look kind of comes from Susie, and his behavior is kind of modeled on how Susie would act in front of the right. in front of the crowd so i think they're pretty important in goth and then i kind of leave the goth river going into the 80s when it gets pretty weird and dark like yeah. I, I never really got into sisters of mercy and things like that like that's a bit much well, they can get really weird how about guar what's guar oh my god now there's a novelty <laughs> act guar right. a novelty right. act Guar's right, a right. Act. well that that's when you take it as far as it could possibly go right yeah you know yeah that's... cutting off heads and fake blood and all the rest of the yeah that's stuff. i mean they're a metal obviously they're metal but they're uh, like a joke on metal kind of yes. i mean not kind of definitely definitely yeah I don't really, yeah, that was not something that ever appealed to me. I had friends that were into Guar and would go to Guar shows, and I was just like, oh, right. But, yeah, that's but I'll say this, like, getting back to what we're talking about, The Cure, they look mm -hmm. at Robert Smith, you say, okay, they're a goth band. But then they come out with Just Like Heaven. Uh -huh. Just Like Heaven, to me, is probably one of the best songs ever written. So when I was uh, in, in high school, one of our pastimes was to go across the border into Mexico okay. and party. Um, oh, yeah? you could drink, nice. you could drink at 18 years old in Mexico, which meant that I can give them my ID that said I'm 16 and a $5 bill and I can go drink in Mexico, Nice, you know, nice. uh, which I couldn't do here, but that, that song would play endlessly in the clubs down there. So th that song came out in like 87, I think. Yeah. That sounds and right. So we were going in like, from like 90 to 92 and it was playing all the time. And so every time you hear that song, which it, it's a fantastic song. It's one of the great greatest melodies. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I think all of my every life. Time, every time you hear it, it reminds me. I that. hear that song once every three or four years. And I'm like, man, I think that's one of my favorite songs ever. Like, I just really love that song. And then I forget about it. I forget. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. And then I hear it again. It's it's kind of like it. it's not like this anymore, but it used to be. I would hear Don't Stop Believing once every oh. three or four years. And I would just be like, oh, that's a phenomenal song. And then after the Sopranos thing, yeah, that one yeah. was just just it was, more saturated in the culture than it was, it was when gone, it originally right. came out. Gone. And you know, I don't I wouldn't listen to that one anymore. But, but I, I just looked it up and this is the thing that was surprising to me was that just like heaven reached number 40. Right. That's as far as it got. Number 40 and kiss me, yep. kiss me, kiss me. It just blows me away because it's such a great song. It really is a great and, song. I don't know. Maybe it was just the, but it paved the way. To... It paved the way for this one. And this one, yeah. uh, Love Song hit number two in the US. Love Song their, is their biggest... God, Love Song is such an amazing song, isn't it's it? It's really good. I actually did a head to head because I was looking at it and I was like, which one do I like more? And I did a head to head between those two songs, mm -hmm. listened to them back to back. And then I played them on guitar for myself back to back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I like Just Like Heaven more. But mm -hmm. but Love Song's a good song. That's a really yeah. good one. That's I think I don't even know if it's necessarily my favorite one on this album, but it's a really good song. And it's definitely 
I could see why that's the big hit. It made sense. It- so Disintegration had, like, of the songs, of the singles, they had uh, Love Song, Pictures uh-huh. of You, right. Fascination Street, yep. Spider-Man. Uh, uh, that's that called, called something else. It's called something else. It's uh, Spider-Man's Having Me for Dinner Tonight. Yeah, that's called. called, that's later in the album. Is that just on Fascination Street, right? Spider-Man oh, is having me for dinner tonight. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. It's later in the album, and it's Lullaby, right? Yeah, it's Lullaby. Pictures of you, yeah, Love Song, yeah, yep. So those four are are four of their the best songs ever, and, and and it's so loaded with those amazing songs. And I will say this, like, uh, so I have The Cure Greatest Hits, which is, uh, it's like 20 songs, I can't remember, but it, it yeah. spans it spans their, their uh, career. And uh, we listen to it, me and the family listen to it every time we go on road trips, because oh, cool. we try to get these kind of greatest hits albums and just they took up a, a good hour and a half right yeah yeah sure when i listen to it on disintegration on the album it's a totally different song actually all four of those songs completely different than what you get on like the greatest hits they're longer they're a mm-hmm. lot more subtle a little bit more nuanced and in, in, in so far as you hear a, a lot of different instruments which you don't hear on the, like the greatest hits do you know the song, was, boys, really cool. you know the song boys don't cry yes so it's got that bit that's like dun 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 and it always yeah. sounded to me like they didn't write the song right like they missed the beat on that part and it, it's so funny because i realized that's actually one of their first songs they ever did yes. together yeah. and i was like i don't think they were actually as technically competent when they wrote that's a good song <laughs> but you can hear there's like yeah. it's like when, um mick jagger uh can't hit the note at the beginning of ruby tuesday yeah you know yeah. what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah yes i do every, every time i hear that song i'm like you couldn't do take two, Mick. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Remind us how it goes. It's like he's like when he's like. He did say where she came from. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. It's awful. Yeah, and boys don't cry. Used to do the same thing. It was like dun 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 dun. dun, dun. Yeah, beats off or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It has that stutter or that like yeah, it has that stutter yeah. exactly. There's like yeah, yeah. Some, somebody somebody dropped the ball there. <laughs> like the guy leaning on the keyboard at the beginning of um, Roxanne, and you hear like somebody goes brunt and then sing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it goes into it. This particular album and this particular band, I think, are really important for the '80s. It's just you know, if you're an '80s kid, you're a Gen Xer, you you, you will have heard them on on the radio or oh yeah, you know, clubs. So here's or, or here's whatever. something I. When, when you said about the 80s, this is something I wanted to talk about. See what you think of this statement that I'm making here. I don't think people care about decades anymore. And I remember when I was a little kid, I was thinking, okay, so we this is the 80s, and then it's going to be the 90s, and then what are we even going to call that next one? And then it's the teens. And I remember thinking, I wonder if people are going to think of them as decades the way they used to. And sure enough, as we're living through the 21st century, this is the first one that's got a proper name. We're living in the 20s. Yeah. But I don't know about you. And I don't know about everybody else, but when I hear the 20s, the 20s is the 1920s. Like that was a, that's the first decade in history that was that decade, right? Like where people would talk about it and they'd be like, the 20s. Well, I I think, I think you need to, to decades demand retrospection. You need to be able to look on, look back on them. In a way, but this is kind of what I'm getting at here with this argument is that I think in the second half of the 20th century, people would have this awareness this is 1969 and now it's 70 and everything needs to change because now it's the 70s. And then everybody mm. was like, it's 1979 and it's 1980. No, no, you're right. Because no, now it's the 80s, you know? And so I think this, I think you were right on certain things. 
If you look at like hairstyles, like hairstyles mm-hmm. between the 60s yeah. and 70s, yeah. night and day, right? 70s and 80s, night and day. 80s and 90s, night and day. Yeah. And but people think, would say that. They'd be, like, they'd be like, come on, mom, it's the 70s. Come on, yeah, mom, right? it's the 90s. Yeah, exactly. What are you doing? You know? Nobody talks think, that way anymore. I just know that from my, my 16-year-old daughter, she would be offended if you called her a millennial. She is not a okay. millennial. She's like, I'm a Gen Zer. You know, Generation Zoom or whatever she calls her, Zoom, whatever the heck, yeah. whatever the heck it you know, is, right? We talk she, about generations so, more than, than anything yeah. else. Yeah, and and so she's she's offended by it, but she remembers like she loves to go back. So she was born in two thousand six. She loves to go back and look at like the the late two thousands or two thousand tens, I guess, right. whatever you call them, because she can remember that, and then the two thousand teens. Cause she can right. remember that and, and she could be like, can you believe we did this? And we did that. Like she owns it. I mean, people are still nostalgic, but the very fact that we don't have a name for those two decades makes them harder to talk right. about. It's like the power yeah, of name. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. Somebody was talking well, but, to me. Uh, but, but I mean, do you remember Stanford and son? Sure. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to zoom in live time here. How old was red Fox? in oh. Stanford and Sun. Okay. Yeah, this is going to blow you, this is going to blow you away. So that was about it had Red Fox, comedian, African American comedian, very famous. Right. And it was about he and his son who owned this scrap shop and they would uh, go around LA and like find junk on the street, bring it back and then sell it and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> so and so Red Fox played an old man. I'm coming. I'm coming, Betty. You know, when he'd always act like he's going to have a heart attack. I was trying to remember what his wife's name Estelle? was. Estelle? Estelle or something. No, I, I can't. Know. I don't know. I was just, I was going to, I was going <laughs> to say the quote. And then I was like, I can't remember what her name is. Hey, whatever it was. I'm coming. I'm coming. He was about to have a heart attack. And his, dad, and his son's like, Dad, would you knock it off? It wasn't easy. What? He was 49, 49 years old. 49 years wow. old. The first season. Okay. Wow. And, he, okay. and we thought, we thought he was ancient. Yeah. I remember watching that show. His hair's in the 70s. all gray and stuff, right? I mean, he has his yeah, hair. Yeah, but but the the point is, that's what they were, though. Old speaking people of which, freaking speaking old. of which, what are you doing for your fiftieth? Are, are you doing something? Are you doing Shut something? Shut up! <laughs> yes, I, I am doing something. I'll tell you well, about I mean, it off. Is it like a friend thing? Can I come? Is yeah, it going to yeah, be like yeah, a party? yeah, absolutely, like, yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. I'll tell you off air. No, Let's invite but, the toasting but, the classics listeners. But the to point show is, like, I'm, I'm fifty. I'm fifty years old. Yeah. I'm lifting weights. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. hiking every day, yeah. you know, and I could pass as 20, 2015, 15, something. <laughs> I could pass as a lot younger, but yeah. Red Fox is 49 years old and we thought he was 80. You know, we thought he was Joe Biden on that show. Right. You know, do you know, and, do you know how I know I can't pass for 20 anything anymore? What's that? It's because of how fast young people call me, sir. I know. Everywhere I, I go. I Every time been, somebody's like, yeah. oh, sir, I'm like, God damn it. I feel young. <laughs> I haven't I haven't been carded in so long. It actually I got physical, carded. It actually I got physical, carded at Yankee Stadium. Hurts. I got carded Shut at Yankee up. Stadium. I hate you. You know what? Why, why do I talk to you? Why are but they were just messing with me. They, they didn't oh, okay. actually think I was 20 uh, years old. I mean, I've got a kid who I've got a kid who's been able to drink for two years. But I will say this. It's actually it's 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 sort of convenient because they just look at you and they're like, whatever. <laughs> so right. it is sort of convenient, but at the same time, it's a bit depressing. I'm in that sweet spot where I haven't quite accepted it. Yeah. In any case, let's move on. That um, sweet spot called denial. I w- yeah. That's, I will that's- say Robert Smith at 64 years old looks really old. He looks terrible. <laughs> he looks terrible. I don't know that he actually looks that old, but when he puts on the makeup and does Golly. the hair, he looks he looks like somebody's aunt Myrtle. Is what he looks like. <laughs> he does not. He does not look. He does not look like a well, cool. According guy to him, like he according to him, that's how he dresses every day. 
which I think is is a very startling thing to admit. Tim Burton looks terrible too. Robert Smith is sixty four years old. Tim Burton. Yeah, I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him in a couple a uh, couple weeks here. I guess. It'll I hope be... he didn't. I hope he didn't break a hip. Tim Burton, sixty four years old. Right, he go. looks terrible too. I think there's something in with dyeing your hair and lifting it poofy, that and smearing on I mean, white makeup that might have something. Looks- Nobody looks good in their 60s, for Christ's sake. You know, like, what are you going to do? Like, Are you kidding me? That's not, you know, what are you going to do? You can keep it together for a little while, but by 60, you're, you're an old person, you know? Like, you could oh. be like, you could be 60 is a new 58. You could be a healthy 60, but nobody's like, oh, yeah. Like, look at that 60-year-old go by. If, like, you're 60, if you're 60 years old and you show up at the villages in Florida, you would be the toast of the town, man. You yes, would be. I would be. Yes, I would. Be. That's, that's <laughs> you would relevant. be. That's and relevant. apparently, you have to hang some sponges out of your window or those squeegees or something like that. Go look it up, ladies and gentlemen. What the hell does that mean? All right. Well, just just uh, don't worry about it. Alex, put yeah, on shady pines. Shady pines, Clint. Yeah, there you go. Shady pines. We were talking about Fascination Street. Great baseline. Just start oh, out. I know. Really yeah. great baseline. There's these songs, and for me, the Cure in general is not one of these bands where you're like, you know, we were talking about Queen. Queen songs are singular. Each mm-hmm. Queen song is nothing like the other Queen song that you like. You never have True. any trouble right. remembering which song. The Cure has a very powerful voice, and each song sounds a lot like the other songs. It's kind of hard to separate them. Like we were just yeah. talking about, you know, which one is Lullaby? Which, which one is Fascination yeah. Street? I actually have to sing through because the instrumentation is very similar you got mm-hmm. all these minor chords the guitar has a certain jangle to it that i just mm-hmm. love the sound yeah. the way they do their guitars but it sounds the same in every song there's definitely a there's there's a distinctive thing but it's not it's hard to tell the songs apart well, they, this they, album, they layer it and 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 yes, so yes. And, and the best yeah. example of that really is is just like heaven when the song starts you've got five different layers of stuff that kick in at different times so you've got acoustic and then you've got well not acoustic but you've got yeah and then you get the bass and and then you get the drums actually it starts with the drum and then and then yeah and then the bass and then and then and then it's between the guitar and then the keyboards right and then everything hits it and then everything blends together and it's wall of noise as well it's it's amazing this album starts out with plain song opens plain song is huge it's big huge huge sound like yeah um, it's it's ginormous yeah we talked about it we talked about it in pet sounds it's um, Uh uh phil phil specter and the wall specter yeah yeah and and susie and the banshees called it the wall of noise and it's totally Mm -hmm. what they're doing this album opens with this gigantic wall of noise but then but then pictures of you Though it does that layering thing again, where uh-huh. it starts out, it starts out with like I think pictures of you sounds a lot like you, just like heaven. It's a, yeah, it's pictures similar. of you. Well, pictures yeah. of you starts out with the with the guitar. Yeah, you know, and then it, and then it ever it layers things through it, and it's never huge. Yeah. They're the masters of doing that sort of layering sounds, where one thing leads to another. Yeah. You know, there's that great line in 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 just like heaven where it, God, I think it starts off with the cars with the guitars like and then it hits it, then it turns into the keyboard doing the same thing. You know, it's it's but it starts off with the guitar, leads into the keyboard doing I don't know, it's hard to explain. Yeah, no, they're all working together. It's very symphonic. Yeah, it's it's a whole it creates a whole. And that's mm-hmm. why I think it's a little harder to distinguish the song sometimes because it's a little, you know, if you ask me, 
which which symphony which of beethoven's symphonies does this one song come from i'm like well i freaking know the song but i, right. I don't know i can't remember yeah, exactly yeah, exactly you know, there's a there's a distinctive sound to the whole thing mm -hmm. and it comes mm -hmm. together as a whole and it can be kind of difficult to remember which one you're listening to but this one i think is all of the cures things they do coming together and i think it's better as a whole album there's a there's great songs on it but a lot of the other songs are kind of you know, like they're kind of not filler. Plain song, for example, mm -hmm. is very distinctively the cure. You know, yeah. you're listening to the cure, right? But it's not a, it's not like a song. You're not like whistling along to it, right? Like I, I got out my guitar for the last couple of tracks on the album just because I was getting a little bit. If I'm being honest, I was a little bored, but mm -hmm. I was digging the vibe, so I got out my guitar and played along. And I was like, I can play along with this, but it's pretty much just a four chord progression all through those last two songs different mm. ones but it's it's a pretty simple progression but there's this huge thing going on with all the instruments and stuff that creates mm. a larger sound that you could just sit back and listen to it and get a feeling out of it and i think that's what a cure album is about to me is if you look at at the the track list from disintegration the ones that stand out are pictures of you love song lullaby fascination street those don't sound like the other songs no on the album Okay, so that's one, two, that's four songs. So you've got eight yeah. songs, but those eight songs sound alike. Those songs sound alike. And they sound like kind of like formulaic The Cure. You know what yeah. I mean? They stand apart because they don't sound like formulaic The Cure. It's so almost it's like, like if you imagine if you imagine a musical, mm -hmm. right? And it's got a theme that's going to run through the whole there's a there's like a theme that's going to run through the whole musical, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. you're playing the stuff that's kind of thematically the whole thing, and then it stops for a big number, mm -hmm. and you do a number, and then you go back to the theme, and then do another number, then back to the theme, and so it's like Plain Song opens up, and it's like the theme of disintegration. It's it's what this album is. It's a, it's right. you feel the whole theme, and then it goes into Pictures of You, which is like its own song, and then back to something that sounds more like the theme with Close Down, then Love Song. Mm -hmm. And then you're back and you go back and forth to sort of it's almost like the ground state of the album. It's, I think I think you're right. Yeah, it's a really influential album. There was a band. There's a band called Interpol. I don't know how much you know. Yeah, them, yeah, but Interpol, I, huh? I loved Interpol back yeah. in the day. Like yeah. some of my friends hung out with them here in New York and stuff like that. Yeah. They were like, like before they got famous. And then I was really into them. And you could hear it. The guy was talking about how much they're influenced by The Cure. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, totally, of course. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then yeah. I was thinking what I kept hearing in it. And I actually can't remember what year this this album came out, but I was thinking of the album. The band is called The Church, mm. and they have this song called Under the Milky Way. Do you know the song I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. It's from like 1990. I do know that song, yeah. It's right about yeah. the same time as Disintegration. Yeah. It's one of my favorite songs. That's a great song. Also. Yeah, that's a great song. And it's song. got the same kind of guitar going oh, on throughout yeah. the song that's in this album. I think yeah. it's actually about a year after this. So I think it is inspired by this, but yeah. it's just a oh, cool that's a, sound. That's a good and, song. And yeah. I think the title, Under the Milky Way, mm -hmm. describes how I feel about this album. It's like you're sitting out there and the stars are all above you. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and you feel small in this huge universe, but it's beautiful at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like the guy looking at the wave in the painting I was talking about. That's the right. feel of this album and this band mm -hmm. to me yeah did anything surprise you about what you well, learned before we do that we haven't okay, even talked sure, about sure, our drink sure, sure. We, we didn't get to our drink oh let's my god we drink. didn't mention it at all yeah let's do mention that it was a terrible pick but we didn't mention what it was <laughs> so for the so. drink you came up with a or you sent me one so it has it's vodka triple sec and lemon juice lime, lime. or lime juice rather did you use um, lemon it's fine i don't uh, think it would change it very much but i, I did use lemon actually 
Okay. Um, All right. So we have two I didn't I didn't know the measurements. So I used two ounces of vodka, one of triple sec, and then half of so according to mine, it should have been equal parts lime and triple sec. Oh geez. Okay. But so a little it's not, bit not a big less. I don't think it's a big difference. Okay. And it's mine, okay. So why why did you come up with this? I was just Googling around trying to find something. Honestly, I was kind of scrambling to find a drink. And it would have been kind of fun to go with Bloody Mary. That would have been fun and, and call that the cure, right? I kind of wish mm -hmm. I'd done that. But Mm -hmm. This was something that was served at a venue where The Cure did a big show not too long okay. ago because I think Robert Smith is is on record as being a big fan of vodka. So they okay. created a fun vodka cocktail and called it The Cure. So All right. well, that makes sense. You know, All right. whatever. Cool. Well, that, that makes sense. That, okay. that was, that's about it. But I did, I did one and a half ounces vodka to one ounce triple sec to one ounce lime juice. So my proportions right. are a little different. Should taste almost, almost close to it. Yeah, close yeah. to it. That's um, right. it's good. It, it, it works. You know, it's just, it's like a, you know, well, it's an orangey, lemony, citrusy. And by the way, I realized my, my grand unifying theory of drink, of uh, drink mixing was incorrect. I had somehow gotten the impression that the definition of highball was that you had two ingredients and the definition of cocktail is three ingredients. And that's not right at all. I don't know where I got that idea. I've been saying that on the show and I just wanted to get that out there. I don't know what I was talking about. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about either. I think a highball oh. is specifically with whiskey and something else, mm -hmm. but yep. anyway, yep. so I don't know where I highball is just a, you know, highball could be whiskey and soda. That's it. It's just whiskey mixed with another ingredient. Yeah. Something else. Okay. Yep. All right. But um, it has to be whiskey. A cocktail is always a spirit, a bitter mm -hmm. and, a, and something sweet. Okay. So, so there is a definition. All right. So the original, the original cocktail mm -hmm. is uh, what, what's called an old fashioned it was yeah, like 1856 okay. or something or 1816 or something like that okay. in a newspaper. It was whiskey, bitters, and sugar water. So any any combination of a spirit, bitter, and then sweet. A sweet. Okay. Yeah, and that's, okay. Uh, that's a cocktail. Well, I'm going to um, put that out there. Anybody who's listening to these shows in order, which is nobody, I think people are just grabbing <laughs> whatever they want to listen to. But anybody yeah. who's doing that, please be aware that I have corrected myself and I have learned. And um, he, is, he is he has learned. I he want to apologize to the fans. Yeah, he is. Um, he's apologetic, and he's he's learned. He's learned his lesson, and he That's is right. you know he's coming back a better person. All right, so surprises. Yeah. My biggest surprise okay. is that Robert Smith is the only member of the Cure. So Simon Gallup has basically always been in the band. He was, okay. he's, he's been in the band. So the band's been together since 78, which would be what? 32 plus 23, which is, that can't be right. That's not, yeah, 45 years, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The band is basically one year older, younger than me. So they're 45 years old and he's only been out of the band for three years. Simon Gallup. Robert Smith is the always in the band. That's yes. true. Yes. Um, but, but so that, that, that's what I mean. I, I, it was, it kind of blew me away. So you could have one person who is the band. There's this sort of intellectual or philosophical. Oh, the ship of Theseus? Mind puzzles. The ship of Theseus. <laughs> yeah, what is it? What, what is it? What, I what like is that. that. I like so that. What That's, is that? What a, what a cool, what a cool. Uh, so it's basically saying if, um, you know, the ship keeps, I don't know what it has to do with Theseus. Honestly, I don't know. But anyway, either. But the ship, the ship comes in, and you and you fix a couple of boards and a couple of planks, and and basically over time, every single piece of it has been replaced down to the very nail. So, yes. is the thing is really still the ship of Theseus? Right. <laughs> it's right. You know, that's true of our bodies as well. By the way, every yes. single cell in your in your body is replaced yeah, within totally ten replaced. years. Yeah. I think I, I've heard it's probably um, not true down to the. There's probably so that that's the first thing I thought of is like like yeah that's okay is that. the is the cure the cure 
because yeah. you got one guy. Although I think in this case it would be because this, you know, Robert Smith was there. Robert Smith has never the left. Beginning, right? Yeah. Had he come in and replaced like the lead, you know, a lead singer mm-hmm. or something like, yeah. after it it was formed, then it would be really weird. But he came in. He actually he didn't come in. He was there from the beginning. They, they called themselves the Cure. Everybody else left at one time or another. He stayed. Other people, you know, other planks and so forth. Yeah, I think. Yeah. But I, just, I couldn't help thinking of that. It's so no, weird. I like it's that. like, I imagine like that. if like Steve Tyler was Aerosmith, like all of Aerosmith. I don't know anything about the history of Aerosmith. For all I know, that might be true. Any, yeah. Anybody, yeah. you know, like basically Metallica really comes down to Lars and, and Hatfield. Well, just Lars, really. I think Lars is the only founding member of metallica now that i think about it so maybe it's uh, maybe i guess it's Dave not Hatfield, as, he wasn't there from the beginning i don't think so i think they had another mm-hmm. lead singer that who pat who died like in a bus accident or something that's pretty metal to die that's pretty accident. metal but yeah. anyway that was my biggest surprise if i had a sub surprise it, it was again and just pertaining to robert smith how prolific this guy is like he was he's not just in the cure he's in susie and the banshees yeah and, and then he collaborated like throughout the eighties and nineties with everybody in the entire world. Yeah. All these other bands and you know, co-writing and arranging and doing all this other stuff that I was impressed with his influence. Icon's the wrong word. He's not he's not strong enough to be an icon, but but he kind of is. His image is so influential on so on so many other things that we associate with with goth and kind of goth adjacent, like to Tim Burton. It's not really goth, but it's Scott-ish. Yeah. His influence on that really impressed me. Like I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. He was dressing like that. And that's where Edward mm-hmm. Scissorhands comes from. And that's, yeah, right. that's pretty cool. Like this one guy. And I don't even, I think he gets it from Susie. I think it really is Susie. I think Susie mm-hmm. had a look and he kind of copied Susie's look. Mm-hmm. And through him, probably because of misogyny, he was more influential. Yeah, if you know what I mean? Maybe. Like Probably yeah, people were yeah. like, oh, like, look at that. This guy's wearing makeup. Is because basically he just did exactly what she's doing and then right. must his hair up a little bit more. He looks yeah. so much like Ben Affleck, by the way, without the makeup when he was young. Oh, I know. There's, yeah. a, there's a couple yeah. of pictures of him without his makeup. And I was like, that just looks exactly like Ben Affleck, which is I'm thinking Ben Affleck has had some trouble in his career. Maybe he should start wearing some makeup. Maybe he, <laughs> maybe he would finally get that. Maybe, big maybe so. That, maybe so. That he's deserved yeah. for so long. But um, probably because not like he, he didn't have a hot wife my, to help him with his makeup. My biggest too. surprise. My, my my biggest surprise here was that he played guitar for Susie and the Banshees. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought that was really cool because I also really like Susie and the Banshees. That's a band mm-hmm. that I just always thought was cool. Everything about their look I found appealing. I like the weird sound. Actually, the first time I ever heard Susie and the Banshees was in Batman Returns. They play the, the song where Catwoman and Batman dance together. Mm-hmm. They play uh, the Susie and the Banshees song in that scene. And then I went and got a couple of her albums after I heard that. And I was just, or, or their albums. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed. Super cool. This was my pick. Um, this is something that I'm I'm going to see them. This is probably my favorite Cure album. I think this is their best album. I really like this band in general. There's a bunch of great songs. They're a bit to me like they're on the same brain cell kind of as REM, which is that mm. I really, really like a bunch of their songs and I like some of their albums, but I've I don't know their albums from beginning to front the way I do with the Smiths and the Beatles. Like yeah. Smiths and Beatles, I could tell you what song goes into the next song, and I just would mm. listen to the albums over and over again. Yeah. These I I really dug the individual singles, but the, the albums weren't as powerful. Disintegration, I think, is is my favorite Cure album, and so therefore I would toast it. But I'm putting it up to you, and I'm the one who selected it, so it's the ball's in your court. This is gonna be kind of lame, but how can I not toast this? 
No, I, oh, I think okay. I think right. I think the Cure is is fantastically. Are you, are you talking about the Cure? Or are you talking about this album? This album. Well, okay. well, hold on. The Cure itself is mm-hmm. is like themselves hugely influential. This particular album, you know, I love this album. Love all the songs on it. I think it's it's interesting that this is their biggest like hit right. or most you know popular hit here in the U.S. I think it was actually. Honestly, Honestly, I think that just like heaven opens the door to this album being a big hit. I think I was just I don't, I myself, don't yeah. think this album yeah. necessarily would have been such yeah. a and by the way, Electra didn't think yeah. it was a hit. Electra heard the album and they wanted a couple more yeah. months. It was exactly right. what happened with OK Computer. Yeah. They heard it and they were like, ooh, uh, we're gonna uh, downplay yeah. Yeah. Uh, sales estimates here. Yeah, I was actually thinking the same thing though. Kiss me. See, I always thought Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me was their biggest album in the US. Yeah. No, I know, because Just Like Heaven is a terrific because it's just song. like heaven and, and Apex a lot of Apex. and let a lot of other great songs there too. And then I not, I not found, as many, not as many. If you go look at the track listing for Kiss Me, right. Kiss Me, Kiss Me, well, there's not okay, as not, many hits. Not, not as many, as many good songs. Not as many hits. I disagree. I think there's some great songs. Not as many songs of the songs it. that you know by The Cure that you could sing along with. Yes, I agree, me, I agree with that. But but this one, this one, you know, if that opened the door for this one, you know, I'm going to toast him. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right, just all right, cool. purely out of nostalgia because I, I respect cool, the band. Cool. I love the band. Cool, cool. No, so, I, I think this one deserves um, it. This is a good album. My, number four, number five of 1989. I think that's, it might be higher than that, but it's that I think it's earned that. So yeah, absolutely. Pretty good, pretty good right. music here, by the way. So I think so. Full, Full Moon right. Fever by Tom Petty is another one that came out that same year. Oh, really? So okay. Well, there's some really good music that year. Well, cheers, everybody. That is yep. uh, this episode of Toasting the Classics. And we have toasted yet another classic because we are the experts when it comes to this stuff. That's right. On music, on film, on stand up comedy, comic um, books, graphic books, novels, literature. Yeah. Classics, classical, canon, Cicero, and whatnot. We we span all genres. Span everything. If you don't know anything about anything, come to us. That's right. For for Toasting Classics, I am Clint Lanier. And this is Dave MacArthur. And I do want to give a shout out to the liquor store on my block. The guy gave me his card, and uh, he said he was going to listen to the show. So I want to give a shout out to Adel Wine and Liquors uh, on Columbus Avenue here in New York. Great place. The guy tipped me off to some good drinks sometimes. Yeah, thanks a lot for listening to our show. Peace out. Peace out, everybody. Bye. That's it for episode 80 of Toasting the Classics. As an update, I'd like to let you all know that the Cure concert was terrific. Yes, the band is older, but Robert Smith's voice is still powerful and the songs are as evocative as ever. A Forest is a great live moment, and I recommend it to anyone who has the means. For those playing along at home, I think you can guess what we'll be drinking when we discuss Ian Fleming's spy thriller Dr. No. If you'd like to get in touch, please send us an email at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, and any parody ideas we can steal and market in our own names. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics. Mm-hmm.